Support for Podcast by Night comes from Midnight Syndicate. To find out more about their gothic horror instrumental music, please visit MidnightSyndicate.com. Welcome once again to Podcast by Night. I'm your host, John Long. And I'm Jennifer Wolf. And this is our podcast exploring the wonderful and wacky world of darkness. In our last episode, we delved into the Vampire the Masquerade game setting by first discussing what it is to be a vampire in the world of darkness. And on this episode, we're going to be discussing the nightly grind. Yes. For many new players, this is probably the aspect of the game that will be the most challenging to wrap your head around. And that's because you have to remember a vampire isn't human. These are not creatures that are going to care about things like food or the temperature outside or how to stay out of the rain. The basic human needs are not things that vampires care about, but they still exist in a very human world where people actually do still care about those things. So it's tricky finding that balance. And so this episode, we really wanted to kind of go over not so much what a vampire is and how their physiology works, but much more of what is the night-to-night daily grind like for a vampire? How do you live your life or your unlife, as it were? That's right. Uh, just- just because you are undead doesn't mean you stop, quote unquote, living. You still have uh, things to do. You might you might still have a day job that you don't uh, that doesn't know that you're dead yet. So last episode, we went into a great deal discussing the situation with vampires in terms of blood. Vampires need it. They like it. They want it. They crave it. They can't do anything without it. You're not waking up of an evening without, without having some blood. So part of your daily, nightly grind is face it. It's going to be going and getting blood. Right. We talked about some of the different ways that one can get blood. We, I know we discussed hunting and how dangerous that could yes, be, you know, feeding off of animals. But humans are definitely the way to go if you're, you know, you want to be satisfied. Again, there's, you know, it's dangerous to go hunting. You don't know who you might bump into. It takes up a lot of your time because if you go from victim to victim, it's going to be time consuming. The thing is that you have to plot your time. You have to become a micromanager for hunting. Exactly. Hunting itself can take up a great deal of your night. And it's made worse by the fact that most humans aren't necessarily out and about at night. Maybe on the weekends you'll find more of them, but during a weekday, many humans are, well, at home. They have life to live, they have jobs in the morning, so they're not going to be as easily accessible to the average vampire. So you have to find out those places where humans are going to be around at midnight or 3 a.m. when you get low on blood and you just feel a little hungry, a little peckish. Right. We talked about uh, dungeons, nightclubs, S&M clubs, things like that. Uh, We also touched on herds. Yes. If you have a herd and it's easily accessible and chances are they know who you and what you are, then you don't have as much of a problem as someone who would be hunting. Same goes for someone who's maybe working in the medical profession. You know, you're going to be, those things will probably be a little bit easier for you to access at like two in the morning when you need it. But again, you still have to think about all the 
uh, idiosyncrasies and tricks and problems of getting that blood. If you're working in a blood bank, is it open during the night? How do you get the blood out of the blood bank? If you are at a sex club, it, do they close at 2 p.m. or 2 a.m.? And if they do, then what are you going to do after that? You have to really think through this whole process of, okay, I need to get blood. How am I going to do that? When, when am I going to do that? Are there times that are going to be better than other times? Exactly. This is something that as a player, it's not necessarily going to factor in greatly into your uh, game sessions per se, but it, as a character, it is something you have to keep in mind. Like if you have a full you know, amount of blood at the start of the game, it might come up in conversation. Hey, how did hunting go? How did you, how, do you have a herd? What's the nightclub scene like? It's just flavor for you to keep in mind as a player that just sort of adds depth to this already deep game. And I would push back on that a little bit. I would say it depends on the game. Because if you're doing a LARP, chances are it may not factor as much or it will factor very minimally. If you're doing a tabletop game, though, and you have a kind of jerk for a storyteller, they will rake you over the coals with this. I know because I've been there. And some great plot. Great plot comes out the point where you're like, it's 3 a.m. You're low on blood. Where are you going to go? It's very limited where you can feed. Oh my gosh. Now shenanigans ensue because you had to figure the situation out. Oh, I see what you're saying. So so all tabletop storytellers are dicks. Uh many of them, yes. Oh, okay, good. Glad glad we're clear. If that you're up. not a dick as a tabletop storyteller, <laughs> I don't think you're doing vampire right. So <laughs> that's right. You know, you gotta you gotta be fatalistic. Yep. It's six aggravated damage or it's just not fun. It's just not fun. That's right. If you're not crawling back home at the, you know, before sunup, you just didn't have a good night. Nope. So one of the things we did want to bring up, though, in the course of discussing hunting and herds and blood, because we covered a lot of this last week, and we didn't want to rehash the same old, same old. But there is an aspect of vampires and blood that we didn't cover nearly as much, and that is that vampires can feed off of each other. A vampire can give another vampire blood, but there's a problem with that. Right. It's not all just fun and games. When you're a vampire feeding from another vampire, what happens? You can be blood bound. Oh, yeah. It could be fun and games. It could be if you're into it. You could have lots of fun and games, but there's a price to pay. Yes, there always is. So the blood bond is for all of you who are new to vampire and you're like what in the world is a blood bond the blood bond is is an aspect of the power of the magic if you will in a vampire's blood that makes them undead vampire blood has a host of weird properties and you kind of learn this as you get more and more into the game but one of the aspects of vampiric blood is that the power in it, it has a, a uh, almost controlling, almost love potion effect on people. Think of uh, Harry Potter and love potions. It's not totally dissimilar from that. If a vampire feeds a human in their blood, they are liable to have that human fall in love with them and and serve them in a way and we'll get into this process known as ghouling in another time but it, it's a very powerful emotion they're able to control humans by feeding them their blood 
vampires can also create a similar bond between each other. And if you drink the blood of one particular vampire on three different nights, guess what happens? Oh, yes. The strength of this bond only increases with each uh, feeding. Yeah. After three, you are, you're, you're pretty head over heels over somebody. But it's not a real emotion. In many ways, this is a fake emotion. I mean, you feel it for real. And it's very potent. And it's very powerful. But it's not a true emotion. And, and it all sounds romantic and everything. But the problem is, it's all open to interpretation. If this... If you blood bond another vampire to three steps, as we say, their their love for you can manifest in ways that are so unpredictable. It all just depends on their character. It, it depends on how they're going to approach it. It's it's not cut and dry. I mean, it's ooh, yeah, yeah. You're at you. You are asking for trouble. You can get some absolute batshit craziness going on from somebody who's pretty obsessively in love with you. So it's something that vampires only wield very carefully. In olden days, sires often would blood bind their childer, their new embraces, and that way they could create a brood. And that practice has fallen out of favor for a lot of reasons, which we'll get into later. But uh, honestly, amongst vampires and modern knights, it's... It's something you have to enter into carefully. Sometimes vampires who are lovers will do it. But then again, you have to ask yourself, are those emotions real? Does that person really love me? Or is it just all fake? Um, A lot of clans will use the blood bond as a punishment. And because it is so powerful, it overcomes the will of another vampire so if a vampire really hates you like they really think you suck like want to kill you or stab you in the face you blood bond them and suddenly hey we're best buddies isn't it great we get along they don't want to attack you anymore that is beneficial but like you said that can manifest in weird and wonderful ways and on the flip side of that, if you are using it as a control method and you don't partake of their blood, that you're just feeding it, you have to then manage that bond so it doesn't get to that, you know, nth degree. So then it's just one more thing in your night that you have to give attention to. And also the vampire blood itself is, by comparison to human blood, is more potent. So it's also, sometimes you might want it more. Yes, vampire blood is is more potent. It's also richer in comparison to human blood. It means that if you drink enough of it over a while, you'll really like it. It's a little like, you know, cocaine (laughs) or maybe heroin. Heroin's a much better example. Yeah, at first it just dulls the pain and everything's great. And then after a while, you're like, you know, breaking into pharmacies and stealing your best friend's shit so you can go get money to go buy from the dealer down the street. This is kind of how vampire blood works. At first, it covers a lot of your hungers and your needs and your desires. But the longer you drink it and the more often you drink it, the more that your hunger is only going to be satiated by vampiric blood. Human blood won't do anymore. And if you're not careful, 
then you have risk a real chance of only being able to feed off of vampire blood. And that could be a problem. Yet again, like, like I keep saying, it's another layer in this already deep and convoluted game. And these are all fun plot points. These are, oh, exactly. There's a lot of fun to be found in here. But these are things you just have to think about as you're playing the game. Do I want to feed off that vampire? What will happen? What are the consequences? How do I make this work for me in all of this? And also another quick note as far as blood goes is that there are rumors flying around, and some people may have actually discovered this, there are ways to preserve blood so you don't have to go hunting every night. Yes, but the methods of pres- preserving blood outside of refrigeration, like a blood bank, uh, a lot of these methods are magical in, or, or require a certain level of training and how to prepare them. So only a few vampires will ever know how to do this. The average vampire probably won't. If you find someone who can... They will probably charge you top uh, favors to do this for you. It may be rare in whatever game or whatever character you play with. We just wanted to make you aware of it. Again, another neat plot point. Exactly. So Beyond Blood, which we've kind of beat that horse until it's dead and and there's not much left of it. No, no, uh, it's still moving. Quick, quick, it's a baseball bat. Quick, the baseball bat. Whack it, whack it. Beyond the Blood issue is shelter right where do you where are you going to sleep during the day give me shelter give me shelter i got a van down by the river (laughs) so yes shelter is something vampires still need unlike humans who need to have shelter for warmth and to keep dry and and to keep their shit in uh vampires really just need a place to hide from the sun As we mentioned in the last episode, vampires, they're a little allergic to sunlight. And they get really, really nasty sunburns. Really nasty sunburns. Also, when the sun comes up, you get very tired. So you have to have a safe place to sleep. Exactly. So because you get tired, I mean, you automatically will fall asleep when the sun comes up. If you are a vampire with strong enough will, you might be able to stay awake an hour or two. But eventually you're going to fall asleep. There's just no question. Vampires, by their nature, fall asleep the minute the sun comes above the horizon, and it's like they're dead until the sun goes down again. So they can't exactly protect themselves from sunlight once they're down for the count. So you need to have a place that's a reliable, safe place that's going to hide the sun, that's going to keep you from being burned up, Hopefully it's secret so your enemies can't find you or some, like, you know, kid who's looking for their lost baseball can't accidentally open a window and then turn you into ash. You you need to think through how your shelter is going to look and what you're going to do and how safe and secure it is. Yes, like you said, security. Um, Who your neighbors are. Are they... Are, are you in a quiet neighborhood? Is this some warehouse in a quote-unquote arts district where God knows who could be stumbling in? And so one of the first things I, I feel we should point out is vampires do not need to have coffins. They just, I know it's the cliche, you, you go and you turn on a movie or you see the TV and there's Dracula in the coffin and that's nice and all. But frankly, that, that shit gets a little uncomfortable. It would give me a crick in my back. I don't know about you. Hey, I hear Tempur-Pedic makes a good one. 
Ooh, sleep number, the sleep number coffin. Sleep number coffin. <laughs> With adjustable settings. That's right. And and also the, the anti-snore. I mean, it's got it all. It's got it all. It's got, you know, the Tempur-Pedic top and um, yeah, it's nice and comfy. So long and short, vampires don't need a coffin. You really, all you need is a place where you can just crash. It could be a couch. It can be on the floor. It can be in a bathtub. It can be in a closet. A lot of vampires just use a bed because, well, you know, beds are Tempur-Pedic with sleep numbers. So um, that there, you don't have to just stick to the old cliches. So definitely just safe from the sun secure from intruders, probably comfortable to sleep in. Yeah, these are things to worry, you know, not worry, just think about when you're thinking about your the shelter of where you spend your days. And one of the key things you need to also think about about a haven is how trackable is where you live. One of the aspects of vampiric living and vampiric life is, well, you're a dead thing running around amongst living things. And in a world where everything's out to get you. So you're going to probably have a lot of people who, on principle, just don't like your face. And they're going to want to try and do things to you. So is your haven someplace that's really well known? If you get in trouble or if you do something outrageous, are they going to know that you live there? Is this going to be the huge, like, Stark Tower with the name on the top, and everyone's going to be like, yeah, that dude lives right there. Are, it, you have to think through your how secure in terms of findability your haven is. Not just in terms of can people break in? Can people just walk in the door? Can they follow you there? Do they know where it's at? Is it well known? If, they, if someone needs to find you, are they going to be like, well, I know that John lives at 555 Mockingbird Lane. That's a great address. Exactly. Are they going to look you up on Google Maps? That's right. Looking up Google Maps, trying to find exactly where I live. Street View is not your friend. No. But speaking of maps and speaking of shelter, you have neighbors, which means humans. That means living amongst humans. Exactly. You have to live around people who are living, breathing, eating, sleeping, doing all these things that you as a vampire can't do anymore. All of them can. And this is a, this is going to be a huge shift. I mean, we've already talked about blood and how you want blood over food, but it gets a little awkward when your neighbor lady down the way says, Oh, I've just made this pot of chicken snoodle soup. You want to come down the hall and have a bowl? What are you going to say? Right, exactly. If you're brand new, if you're newly embraced child of the night, you definitely still have human society to navigate. So, you know, what? how are you going to deal with that? Like, like you said, with food, you can't eat it. You can't drink it. So say that, you know, an ex-coworker that you haven't seen in a couple of days calls you up and says, hey, let's grab a drink. Or your buddy from high school connects with you and says, let's go get a burger, you know, catch up on old times, grab a burger and a brew. And what are you going to say? I mean, how are you going to navigate these social situations? Because humans very much rely on food in their social situations. I know I particularly like to, nav- to navigate social situations with food. And so much of human ritual and human social contact is based on the simple act of eating. 
that vampire can't do anymore. And then I know we've mentioned it before, but sex. Yes, we did mention sex before. Yes, vampires don't do sex. That doesn't mean that people don't want to have sex with you. Right. You might have had a relationship or an old flame from before you were embraced. Or you could be hanging out at your favorite, like dungeon where you like to go feed and somebody's like hey hey you look pretty hot tonight let's hook up and you're like well how do i navigate this situation uh or uh yes and we mentioned that there are ways that you can accommodate the humans if you will uh but it, it you only are doing it really for the purpose of handling the situation it is a tool it is it is useful you're just not getting anything out of it so you have to decide am i going to go that far or am i going to try and get out of the situation somehow or maybe make them think something happened or you know pretend like my dog died and i have to run home and take care of that so i don't have to be in the fuck with situation i don't i won't say that hasn't happened on a date or two or you know you have to go home and wax the coffin i mean wax the wax the sleep number coffin the sleep number coffin you never know <laughs> that that's that's another beautiful thing about as a player trying to figure out what excuses you're going to use for these situations another big one is breathing you may actually forget to breathe in public. Yeah, you have no breath, and you also have no heartbeat, and you also have no body temperature or skin tone. Pretty much anything that's having to do with the respiratory or circulatory system, don't got it. These are things that could potentially come up in situations like you're on the subway and it's crowded, and suddenly everyone around you pressed up against you notices you're a lot cooler than they are. Mm-hmm. And not in a good way. They're like, no, boy, no. you feel like a corpse. Someone reaches out to shake their hand and they notice, wow, you're cold and clammy. Or you're in a situation where everyone else can't breathe, but you're doing just fine. If you're, if someone, a doctor is listening for a heartbeat to see if you're alive, but you don't have one. Oopsies, what are we going to do now? This is a big problem, actually, when it comes to vampires and wounds. Let's just say, hypothetically, you're a vampire, you're out doing your thing, you accidentally get knocked unconscious and whatever you're doing, people go, oh my god, person has been knocked unconscious. I'm going to do the right Good Samaritan thing and call 911. Here come the paramedics. They're looking for a heartbeat or you know breath or parlor or anything really and you don't have one so they're like oh gee this guy must have died off you go to the morgue where you wake up later in a fridge naked your clothes are somewhere and you really really hope that was because you had a really great drunken night out but no right and also another thing you have to worry about now you have to think about the time of year exactly in winter time you might be able to get away with it because everybody's cold and chilly and their hands are cold and you can wear, you know, but you don't want to go out wearing shorts. Yes. That's the problem vampires do have because you don't have a circulatory system like everybody else does. Like you don't feel the temperature changes that humans do. So you have to be conscientious in what you're wearing. If you want to fake being human, if everyone's wearing parkas and scarves and and sweaters well you better be dressing 
a little warmly, even if you don't feel it. It's much more to blend in. If it's summertime and sweltering and everyone's in tank tops and shorts, well, you better be paying attention to that and blending in because people will notice and it'll get a little weird after a while. So definitely things to keep in mind about an undead creature living in a human world. Exactly. One of the other things to be very careful of, and this also feeds into the shelter piece, is that if a vampire is really hurt, they go into a state called torpor, like a coma. And I believe we touched on this last time. You aren't dead, but you aren't waking up for a while either. And this can be a very scary position to be in around humans. Because humans, like I said earlier, will just think you're dead. So they'll send you to a morgue. Maybe they'll bury you. Oopsies, maybe they'll take your body out in the sunlight. And then you're screwed. So you very much don't want to be by yourself if this event ever happens. Right. Or you forgot to update your will. And, oh, he wants to be cremated. (laughs) Oops. Yeah. Oops. Oopsies. Yeah. You want somebody who knows what's going on if you're ever entering into this state, this torporous state. Because humans aren't going to know. And if they do know, then it's probably bad news for you. But they're not going to know. They're going to react as if you're a normal human. And then that's a bad that's a bad way to end the night. That all kind of also feeds into the idea as a player, you have to decide if your character is going to be that intelligent about any of this. Exactly. Because these are problems that like, again, you have a savvy storyteller. They're going to pick up on that and they're going to be like, okay, let's test you. Yeah, you get a storyteller who's a dick, as all proper storytellers should be. That's right. They, they're going to play on these things. They're going to be like, oh, well, look, you went to Torpor and there's nobody around. And now the humans are coming. What are you going to do? Yeah. It, it, we say these things because we've been in Chronicles where this has happened. Yes. Okay, another thing about being amongst the humans is we talked also talked about the supernatural abilities of a vampire, their disciplines. Certain abilities can help you appear human without you having to think about it, say, the rest of the night. Exactly. You can have abilities that will cloud the minds of human beings so they they don't notice can actually make you put you can push your will onto them to make them forget or if they see something that they shouldn't see and start asking questions you can you can take that out of their mind you can do things that make them like fall in love with you and they aren't going to ask those questions because wow you're really hot you know uh, there's a lot of different uh, powers vampires can employ to kind of skirt around the edges to hide some of those truths and you know there's just plain old tricks if you're out having drinks having coffee with a friend you can't drink that coffee but hey coffee sure warms up those hands long enough for you to occasionally touch them and they won't notice that your hands are cold there's a lot of little tips and tricks that vampires have learned over the centuries that allow them to mingle more easily amongst humans without it being noticeable of course all this put together just means that be careful it's a tricky thing dealing with humans exactly and another thing about dealing with humans that vampires still can't lose or shake is you've got shit to do you do have shit to do you've got your life to live or your unlife as it were unlife unlife yes 
I mean, vampires, even though you're not able to go out during the daylight, you aren't human in the strictest sense of the word anymore, you still got shit you got to get done. You have a haven you have to pay for. You have people you have contact with that you have to maintain those contacts with. And there's other vampires that you're connecting with, and they're going to want things from you. So vampires, just like humans, are social creatures. They still have needs and desires. They want to be out and about, and they're interacting with different people and things. And now you have to figure out how to negotiate all of these this web of social and social connections as a vampire how's this gonna work did you have a family before you became a vampire how are you estranged how close are you what about your friends we talked about your friends getting the cup of coffee what you know how do you maneuver that are your friends and family aware of what has happened and if they're aware how are they reacting to it most of the time your friends and family aren't going to be aware because that's bad then how do you deal with explaining to Abuela why it is we I, I can't come over for Sunday dinners after church anymore? Abuela's not going to under, be too understanding of that unless you come up with a really good story as to why it is you can't be there for Sunday dinner. So another big thing that vampires have to negotiate around is employment. Vampires still need money just like everybody else does. I need more money. You need more money. Vampires need more money. And a lot of vampires, when they were embraced, they already had jobs and or careers. So do you still have that job? Is it still something you're doing? Uh, if you want, if you don't have that job anymore, what are you doing for money? How are you paying for your haven and all the things you're doing? And the new clothes you're probably still going to need unless you just want to walk around naked. But the gas in the car, you're still driving around. Part of... Again, as a player, this is going to be part of the flavor of it because you're going to, if the storyteller, again, is not not too much of a dick, but worth his salt or her salt, you're going to be able to sit down with them and figure out where is the money come from? You, you know, what is my nightly career? Have I figured out a way to become on the, go on the graveyard shift? Or maybe you become a podcast personality. Ooh, the sky's the limit. I mean, it, so this is something that is really, again, adds to your enjoyment of this game is thinking about how you are keeping, like Jen said, how you keeping the you know the lights on, the doors locked, and gas in the car. Frankly, I go with podcast personality, a la la croix, and having a creepy podcast. I think that is a brilliant idea. Oh yes, the midnight caller. Be all spooky. That's right. Saying weird things, but you're only really talking to your child. It's 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 the way to go. You know what? If Art Bell can have a creepy, creepy <laughs> alien infested podcast that's on at midnight, I guess it's a radio show. You know, go do you. You do you. Whatever you do, you need, or you're going to need money. It, that's just the way it works. And, and um, you can't, as a vampire, just like humans, you can't buy anything unless you have money. And so having those resources are it's very important part of that friends family job is also your network yeah the people you know do you have allies contacts again just your old school buddies that you you know want to keep in touch because one of them suddenly became a lawyer i mean do you have that 
that one friend that hangs out on the police force? Are you in with a mob boss in town? Are you part of a gang? If you're part of a gang, then you have a whole network of people that you are tied to. So you have to think about who these networks are. Are you tied to more underworld types like gangs or crime syndicates or mob bosses, what have you? Or are you... Hell, even underground artists. Or underground artists. Or homeless people. Or there's a whole bunch of people in, in kind of in that underworld layer. But then there's also the elite contacts, the elite networks. You know, people who run things like city governments, the police department. Maybe they're the head of a corporation, a business, a university. Maybe they're a multimillionaire. Who knows? Right. Art mogul, union leader. Exactly. So these are all people that you have to decide. If Do I have ties into that level of a person? If so, how does that work? And how do I engage with them? Is it me or do I have someone else who works as an intermediary on my behalf? Oh, good point. Good point. Yeah. Like, heck, you could even come up with your own like false identity and ha- helping you deal with these people. Exactly. And one thing to think about is who who does know you? Exactly. Who comes out of the past? You, you, you need to have an accounting of every social circle, good or bad, that you've had in your life. Yeah. Who knows you? Who knows you now? Do they know you now? Did they know you in the past? Is the... Do you have many people who know you? Do you hide your identity? If you're a vampire who's particularly old, you may not go around using your main identity all the time because, well, you supposedly died four centuries ago. But if you're relatively young and uh, relatively young embrace, you may still just go by your same old, same old identity. But that could also have its own host of problems. One thing that um, that I think is a benefit, actually, to modern children, childer that get embraced into the world of darkness in the 21st century is social media is a fantastic way to create alternate identities. Yes. Russian bots go. (laughs) Russian bots go. Hey, that's a good point, though. There's another thing that you have to worry about is, you know... Sure, I can create Susie Q on my Facebook, but I'm really a 300-year-old aristocrat trying to, you know, hunt down a particular prey and when suddenly my account gets hacked and somebody finds this out. Oh no. Oh no, it's a whole other kettle of fish, but it's another it's an advantage and a curse at the same time. Don't let them know I was a vampire catfishing people. <laughs> oh, that oh, movie no. was the worst thing that happened to the to the vampires of this age. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it, social media is a whole new and magical world for most vampires, and it does, in some ways, make it easier for them to fit in or even hide their identities. But it also is a whole danger too for those who are particularly tech savvy. Oh, absolutely, absolutely! It's another wonderful avenue to explore. Yes. And speaking of those social circles, vampires, they aren't part of the larger society. They have their own societies they live in. And let's make this clear, because if you are listening to this podcast, and you're, you kind of already know a little bit about, about vampire. We're trying to gear this more for the new player. So I want to put that disclaimer out there, because there are a variety of different origin stories for vampires and where they come from and how they came to be. 
and only some vampires ever believe any portion of them. There are some vampires who, who have no idea why vampires exist, don't know where they came from, and don't really care. But other vampires look for reasons for why they exist. And so there's a bunch of different myths and stories out there. And not every group is going to have the same ones. No, actually, uh, every group, as you say, or, or clan, as they're called, every vampire is part of one of these groups, uh, except for one other part, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, and these clans are sort of microcultures. As Jin said, they have different beliefs, different uh, stereotypes and outlooks about the other clans and about the world in general and how they should maneuver through the world. Yes. And on a whole, what a clan is, is a group of vampires who all share a particular bloodline. They all descend from one particular vampire. They all share certain characteristics. They all have the same supernatural powers. They have the same flaw. They all have a similar outlook. But that's not to say that every one of them is going to be the same. One Asimite is not going to be the same as another Asimite. This is not going to be the same as another Asimite. But as Asimites, they're all going to have a shared culture and story and outlook and and interest. Exactly. Same interest. Well, interests aside, I mean, again... You know, one has some might may like knives, the other one likes axes. I mean, come on. That's just splitting hairs, John. <laughs> well, if I am not nothing of a hair, not a hair splitter. But that being said, um, because each of the progenitors of these clans tended to have a quote unquote type, they were looking for a, a, a kind of specific person that attracted them. Each of these clans has kind of become a little bit of a stereotypical trope. And so some things will ring true. Like Asimites, they, they, some of them really like to uh, hunt and murder things. But not all of them do. Bruja, they, they definitely live by their passions. They're very passionate people, but they don't always agree on the same passions. So on and so forth. So, I mean, there's some stereotypes about these clans that every vampire is a part of that are true. And so that affects how they go about their day-to-day lives. Uh, a Bruja may be very interested in, you know, ga- gangs and, and have had a past in the gang culture. So that might be what their day-to-day life is about. While another Bruja was very much into political organizing and is a social activist. Both are members of the same clan, but they're, those two passions of theirs inform what they're going to do at their night. Well, a venture was a venture capital capitalist and they're busy going and looking at their stocks or something. I don't know, but these clans help define your character and what their how kind of what their outlook on the society is kind of what their, what a lot of their concentrations are, but they're not the absolute definition of what your character does or does not have to be. They're not the end all be all. They're just a great base from which to jump off of or you could just toe the party line you could you could be happy just being that stereotype and that's great too exactly now each of these clans does have their own unique culture and some of the clans have their own particular hierarchy so 
if you are a member of a clan that ha- it's much more rigid in its in its hierarchy and how it, it maneuvers, then you tend as a vampire, an individual vampire, to work much more within your clan and they help gu- and they're the ones who are guiding your night to night existence. If you're in a clan that just is like, just go be, do you do you, then you can kind of, you have a lot more freedom to do what you want as long as you're not pissing anyone off. Right. Everybody has those complex relationships within their clans. And that just leads to, we've talked about progenitors. That means everybody has descended from someone higher up the food chain. There's power and prestige. You are the bottom of a very long ladder. Exactly. Everyone, just like every human has a mom and a dad, you know, who made them, every vampire has a sire. And that sire is by inherency, one generation above you in this line of descent. If you had a progenitor of this clan, then they embrace somebody and then they embrace somebody and they embrace somebody. You're all the way down this line. So you are pretty much way down the totem pole of all these lines of vampires who by blood are tied to each other. Your sire is always going to be one generation above you. And that means that you are the person that they're going to pick on. And the closer you are to the founder or progenitor of your clan, the more powerful you're going to be just by being that close to the the founder. As I said, the the blood is thicker, more potent. You have more magic running through you, for lack of a better word. Exactly. You are still going to be below the person ahead of you. That's right. You will still somebody's whipping board. Somebody is going to be above you in this chain. So no matter how powerful you are, there's always going to be someone more powerful than you. And so this means that you're going to be beholden to whoever that is. And a lot of times you have to do what they say because they are more powerful than you or because they're older than you or they're the vampire that made you. I, I mean, believe me, vampires are very fond of the same saying my father had I put you into this world and I could take you out of it again vampire sires are the, are the exact same way you know they put you into this world they could take you out you are always going to be beholden to them on some level now that's a great little connection all the way up to who knows you and the influences that you or they have if you have something that your sire needs they're definitely going to press on you for that influence and you're like you said are beholden to give it to them well more or less but it also goes both ways because your sire you could also ask a favor of your sire and whatever influence and and power they wield exactly there are always loopholes on how to get around anything but you have to be very careful because the sire child relationship is a very unique one with vampires and not every sire child relationship is going to be the same especially from clan to clan or group to group even individual to individual i mean by far we don't want to imply that if you're the sire of another character in the game that you this is absolutely the way it's going to be but it's sort of a cultural stigma sort of like how in our society we are told we need to respect our elders it's the same exact idea. You need to respect your elders. How you do that, you know. That's true. I mean, that all depends on on your personality type. But 
Yes, in this society, age and experience are definitely given respect first. Mm-hmm. And then you sort of have to prove that you're worth that respect. And there is a lot of deference that's given to age and experience. Certain parts of vampiric culture, the older you are, the more respect you get. So older vampires, they'll tend to be the more potent vampires. This isn't always the case, but older vampires will tend to be the more potent and powerful vampires. They will usually always have more knowledge. They'll always have more influence. They'll always have more wisdom because they've just been around for longer. They've had centuries to play at these games and have been doing it for such a long time that they... they can outmaneuver most any younger vampire. And that means that they've been in power a very long time and they are pretty established and they aren't very interested in sharing. Elder vampires don't like sharing. Right. That's a great point about uh, bringing up the knowledge and influence and wisdom just simply because they've been around longer. The idea of power in this game is also very nuanced. It's, you know, so who cares that I can pick up a car and throw it at you, but I have enough influence because I'm older and I have more friends that when you go to sleep, you might not wake up next night. Exactly. And you won't even know what happened. Exactly. So power means many different things, which is another wonderful thing to think about in this game is where is your uh, base going to lie knowledge, influence, wisdom, or just straight up supernatural abilities. You can have a ton of supernatural abilities, but if you don't have the smarts when it comes to influences or knowledge, it could do you absolutely nothing. At the same time, if you are very heavily invested in modern influences, but know nothing about how to defend yourself, then someone who is bigger, stronger, and more brutal could come and just tear your head off. And well, that's going to end things rather quickly. So it, there's very much this idea of balance of power. And elders tend, have learned this. Elders have, play, have been alive long enough, and they're elders for a reason. I think we should clarify that. They're here. They're still alive. Most neonates won't live to be more than 100 years old. So if you're 300 years old or better, you, you're pretty good at this. Vampiric existence is a little like Game of Thrones. You, li- you win or you die, there is no middle ground. Elders are the ones who are winning. So you have to keep that in mind with elders. They have learned how to play this game. So either you learn how to play it better than them, which is unlikely, or you learn how to play around them. They're not going to share. This is why they won't share. But they will employ you. And often it, it behooves a, a younger vampire to get in good with an older vampire and make yourself useful to them. Because while they won't share power, they definitely won't employ anyone who is going to help them keep power. That's the thing with uh, being an elder, like you said, of 300 years. Being that old and wise and knowledgeable has a downside in that you're often slower to understand new trends or modern technology. And this is the advantage of the younger vampire. Like you said, they're more than happy to share a little kernel of knowledge for employment to help them navigate the modern nights. Yes. Younger vampires, you 
they do get the short end of the stick in vampiric society. There's no way around it. You are often regarded as ignorant. You're inexperienced. You often don't know the history and the lore of vampires because, hello, you've only been a vampire for, what, five minutes? You don't have the benefit of having large networks of influence like the elders do. You haven't amassed vast troves of wealth like elders have. On top of that, younger vampires tend to also be more danger-prone than elder vampires are. Mostly because elder vampires have learned to not get themselves stuck in dangerous situations. Uh, Younger vampires, because you are often the servants of the elder vampires and you're trying to make a name for yourself, they're going to make you go do the dangerous stuff that they know better not to get involved in. So you're thrown into these dangerous situations and often younger vampires are going to be getting into antics and shenanigans and uh, the younger vampires are often the front line interfacing face to face with the world. This is where the younger vampire actually has an advantage. Exactly. It's the idea that this is how the elder has lived that long is by understanding that they can get somebody else to do the dirty work. Exactly. And so hopefully if you are the one doing the dirty work, you're that younger vampire and you live long enough to gain the same knowledge, you can just do the same thing. And as the younger vampire, you tend to be more of this world and this modern time. Time has not passed you by yet. So things like technology, entertainment, popular culture, uh, social mores, Those are all things that you understand intrinsically that an older vampire will not. An older vampire may not understand that, you know, it's not particularly cool now to subjugate women or people of color. But a younger vampire will be like, you know, that's not cool. Let's not do that. Uh, An older vampire may not know that the biggest way to communicate now is over social media. But a younger vampire may have... A Facebook, a Twitter account, an Instagram, Snapchat, Tumblr, if you if they're really, really nerdy. A Pinterest page. They may have all the things. I like Live Journal. Oh, that old chestnut. Oh, LJ back in the day. But yeah. What? That's not that's not the thing? Oh uh, no, John. That's not that's not what the hip kids are writing these days? No, ro- Russian robots are really big into live journal. Oh, really? Duh. Yeah, the hip kids are not. It's all about Snapchat and Instagram now. Take all the pictures of yourself and plaster everywhere along with your avocado toast. Uh, that's, that's why I play an elder. I like avocado toast, though. And I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little addicted to Twitter. So Fair enough. Fair enough. So... Th- Along the short is the various ages and existences of vampires all coexist. As a society, vampires all live side by side, no matter how old or how experienced they are with the world. This sort of engenders a very political existence. It's not we're not talking about like, you know, Congress or Parliament. It's all about social navigating. And what what do they call that? Um like greasing the palms ah quid pro quo quid pro quo yes it's a lot of quid pro quo in this existence yes i scratch your back you scratch mine and maybe we won't die tonight it helps navigate these the modern nights to help everybody survive yes and survive is that key word the game this is a game of survival you are playing a character who's going to be under somebody else's thumb 
whether that's your sire or another elder or another, even another neonate or who have you, there, there's nobody who isn't under somebody else's thumb. And either you go, either you maneuver yourself so you're no longer under their thumb or you find someone else to put under your thumb or you find the political loopholes out of this. One of the things I feel like we cannot state enough about vampire is that this is not a game where you walk in the door to go kill the monster, get the loots, and rescue the princess, and you win. In fact, this is a game where mostly winning is, I just didn't die tonight. The key of the game is surviving that night, because you never know. Tonight we, we drink because tomorrow night we die. You know, you don't know how it's going to come down the pipe. you got to be prepared. You may come out winning the night by getting all the the glory and the influence but tomorrow you could be smacked down somebody could be have hatched a plot that they've been working on for games months worth of games to try and screw you over and that's just part of the game and i i feel like we need to to emphasize that a lot because one of the things that i think is hard for a new player coming into the game and honestly it's hard for some seasoned veteran players too is the fact that this is not a game about people attacking you personally this is a game where your character is entering it into a barracuda tank and everybody's out to get everybody else and so there's going to be a lot of backroom scheming there's going to be a lot of people trying to to come after you or your clan or your character. You may get completely and royally screwed by somebody. Heck, your character may even get killed. But at no point is this anybody ever trying to be mean to you or bully you. Or People are not into this game to be mean to you in real life. They're doing it because this is a game where vampires are greedy sons of bitches. They're greedy and they're jealous and they're petty and they don't like each other. So they're going to, and they all live around each other and it's very political. So you're going to run into a situation where your character more often than not is going to get screwed. Part of the fun of this game is figuring out how you can survive being screwed with the least amount of damage if you can survive at all. And if you can't have an amazing flipping death. Have an epic death scene. Just make it good. Oh, how very Viking. This In this game, because there are so many mature uh, subject, the subject matter is very mature. You have to deal with a lot of dark emotions. Nine times out of ten, it can put people in a certain devious mindset. And if they do screw you over, yet, like you said, it's it's not personal Nine times out of ten, it, if they're being a jerk or they've got some kind of uh, vendetta or they seem to, it's more likely them, not you. So this is, like Jen said, this is where the 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 adventure of the game comes in is outsmarting that person for whatever their motivation is. Your motivation is to stay alive. And if, if you can't, well, then make sure it's damn well remembered. At the heart of Vampire the Masquerade is something that is called the Jihad. And many people hear this and think, you know, am I, should I be worried? Are we talking terrorism? No. First of all, before we get into the issue of terrorism, I would say go look up what Jihad actually means on the internet. 
look it up and, and find out it that a lot of what that word has to deal with is struggle and it is a struggle between yourself and god or in the case of vampire it is actually uh between other vampires and the jihad is in in the vampire lexicon it is the great struggle between other vampires each maneuvering for their own political ends the creepy thing about it is there are many vampires and no one knows who controls which ones and some of them are really really old and you don't see them some of them exist in myth and legends maybe they're real maybe they're not but maybe they're the ones who are puppeting everything who knows this is the at the heart and essence of this game is there's oh there is someone who is very much more powerful than you who is playing games at a whole other level than you are and you're just a little little speck in that great big old machine i actually love the use of the word jihad because it adds a sense of age to this idea of the struggle it, it sort of puts the date of what people would assume or where it began far back in history. Yes. We'll be covering bits and pieces of vampire history as we go along. But for now, let's just cover some terms that you as a new player are going to run across. It's lexicon time. Yay, lexicon. the words you need to know. The words you need to know. The words you need to know. All right. What's the first word, Jen? So mortals, mortals are the word, is the word of the, of the moment. Uh, mortals are pretty much what you would think they are. These are often normal human beings who live normal lives. They age just like normal and they die just like everyone else. It's important that we use that word mortal though, because there are other supernaturals in the world of darkness who they can die, they can age, but they aren't mortals. Mortals are normal human beings. Mages aren't. Werewolves aren't. Changelings aren't. But they're all creatures who still grow old and die. Uh, next, we have Methuselahs. Methuselah. These are vampires who have lived over a thousand years. Yes. The, the term Methuselah comes from uh, the book of Genesis, actually, in the Bible. And Methuselah himself was said to have lived well into his 900s his his ninth century of living before god took him up to heaven and so methuselahs are simply vampires who are night or who are a thousand year old years old or better there aren't many of them but they exist and if you meet one it's probably a very scary day because they're they're very scary creatures Oh, yes. No sudden movements. Keep your head down. They're not very human anymore. They're, they, these are, they're old. Dude, they're old. They're very old. And speaking of old, the next is elder. I know we've used that word here. That's for a vampire that is between 300 years but less than 1,000. Because they are so old, they tend to be pretty potent beings. Uh, these guys, they, they pretty much can probably physically wipe the floor with you but as we said there are also the ones that have garnered that wisdom and that experience some of them have influence that span generations like there could be a ventru from britain who owned the east india tea company exactly there could be a a toreador who existed in the courts of love of eleanor of aquitaine 
Oh yes, these are these are about as old as you will encounter on a nightly basis. Yeah, these are these are characters who remember those periods of history that you re- that you ignored in your history class, and I'm shaking my finger at you. <laughs> oh, Jin's got the scholar finger out. Yep, I was gonna say it's a little bit like the Jewish pointers that they use at shul. It's I'm shaking it at you. Just imagine that. I am. I am. I've got visions of all kinds of scolding, you know, finger wagging, ruler smacking. Who do we have next? Uh, Pretender elders. Pretender elders are kind of unique in that. So elders, to be an elder, you have to have a certain level of generation of blood potency, as well as being 300 to 1,000 years old. Pretender elders have that level of blood potency that an elder has, they don't have the age. So they're still physically very powerful vampires. These are creatures who could still, you know, wipe the floor with you. But often they're not as old as you would think. And often this happens when an elder embraces a more modern child and that the elder might have come from a time when seventh generations were very were the low men on the totem pole but now we have 11th and 12th generations running around so any child they would have that's embraced in modern nights would be considered a pretender elder these are just simply vampires who are less than 300 years old but still have the same generational potency that an elder would have and next we have ancilla these are vampires that are Older than 100, but younger than 300. They're sort of just below that pretender elder. Yes. They're probably of the same age. And they're sort of sandwiched in between the elders and the young ones. They're sort of the... They are the middle child. They These are the people you'll often see who are doing a lot of that middle management of vampiric society. If elders are the top of vampiric society and the and the young ones are the bottom, the ancilla are the ones who are doing all the work to make things run because they're just old enough to have survived a lot of the shenanigans. They've gained wisdom and they've gained influence. They're not as powerful as an elder yet, but they're savvy enough to be able to man- maneuver in the world and they've survived this long. Right, and the young ones, we're talking about the neonates. Yes, neonates, as the name implies, they are, they are the babies, the babies. Less than a century old, aww. The chibi. The chibis. They're chibis, chibi vampires. They, they often, neonates, really kind of fall into a few decades old. By the time you're hitting that century mark, you gain a little bit of wisdom and experience. A neonate is straight up, uh, you've just been embraced within the last few decades. And you may have things figured out a little bit, but you're still kind of bumbling around. These are the vampires who will probably be getting in the most shenanigans in any particular game. Um, they're often the pawns of the Ancilla and the Elder and the Pretender Elders. Uh, they, when Ancilla and Pretender Elders, and even the Elders want something done, but they don't want to have to do it, go find a Neonate, because the Neonate has no standing, so they're going to do anything. It's just like Mikey. You know, feed it to he Mikey. It. He'll eat anything. And neonates are the same way. They like it. Just make, have them go do the thing, and maybe it'll give them some status, 
And if it doesn't, well, you know, you're just a stupid neonate anyways. Who cares? Oh, yeah. And then that brings us to the very bottom, the very last one on the list for this episode. Fledgling. Fledglings. You have just been embraced like five minutes ago. Wow. You are still wet behind the ears. You are not even really a part of true vampiric society yet, depending on the uh, depending on the society. Usually, you're not really a true member of the society. You haven't proven yourself. You don't know anything. You have no idea of the culture you live in, the rules that they live by. You don't know how to hunt or to feed or to take care of yourself. You're pretty dependent on your sire. Life just sucks for a fledgling. Oh, yes. And that's if you're lucky to have a sire that will take you under their wing and be like, hey, come with me, kid. I'll show you the ropes. That's a pretty lucky fledgling. Most fledglings are told to sink or swim. And if you fuck up and make me look bad, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> oh, memories. Memories. Remember remember when we play characters like that, John? Oh, I do. I do. At the very beginning, I was too big for my britches, and then I had to get swatted back down. I'll never play Venture and again. all the fun. <laughs> Yay, Clan Venture. Oh, boy. I play... I played a fledgling uh, Tremere. It was pretty much just as bad. Oh, God. That, I bet that had to be awful. Yeah, there was a lot of genuflecting involved. I was going to say, you're not, even, you're not even the base stones of a pyramid. You're like the concrete that it's poured on. The slime on the concrete <laughs> it's poured on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hierarchies. Got to love them. Yep. So in, in thinking about um, just kind of how to plot out what the, the living night tonight is for, for a vampire, we highly recommend just going through, again, reading the Vampire the Masquerade Handbook, any iteration of it from the first edition to V20, read the By Night Studios uh, Mind's Eye Handbook. A lot of what we, John and I, pull from is from the By Night Studio Mind's Eye Vampire the Masquerade. So that's those are great resources. But something I thought would be interesting, John, to throw out there is, what are some like pop cultural things you can think of that would be great resources for people to kind of to go take a look at if you're trying to think of how am I going to live night tonight as a vampire? Uh, as far as media, like like movies or books included? <laughs> movies, books, TV shows. What are some pop cultural things? Oh, well... As far as living night to night, um, one of my absolute favorites, actually two of my absolute favorite uh, movies, The Lost Boys. I love that movie. And Near Dark. Love that movie too. Yes, these are two movies that deal with the the main character being brought in, as, as we would say, from a fledgling status, trying to learn how to survive and in the, the new you know, nightlife, so to speak, with the group of vampires around them as role models. They're not always the best role models, but it's still, it gives you a good glimpse into how they maneuver anything from hunting to dealing with mortals to to even getting around getting money. A lot of these subjects are touched in these. Uh, Yeah, I would also throw it out as cheesy as it sounds. The movie version of Interview with a Vampire, because there's huge chunks of it that's just Louis and Lestat wandering around like while Louis's trying to figure out how do I do the vampire thing? How does the vampire thing work? 
and Lestat just getting pissed off at him because, you know, he's not getting the vampire thing. But it, it shows you a lot of both how that sire-child relationship works, but how vampires have to kind of figure out how they work their lives now that they've ceased to exist as a human and now they're existing as a vampire. And I know I keep bringing it up forever night. If you can find it, go watch that because I think that's a great example of how a vampire negotiates living night to night in a human world. Absolutely. It's also a fantastic uh, take on, I mean, all the vampires in that show that I, I can remember are, I'd say they're about Ancilla or older. Yeah. So they have also have a lot of history behind and they do do flashback scenes so you can see where they came from and then they come back to the present and this is where they are now. Yeah. So I think those are some really good examples of like just how do you how do you deal with being a vampire and what life is like and how do I negotiate this whole brand new world when I am not quite human? Right. I think that was a great little tidbit to throw in there just as a sort of, uh, hey, kids, why don't you watch one of these? Yeah, and I, it, and as much as possible, I, I hope we can throw in these tidbits so that it, it kind of gives you a much more concrete visual idea of some of the concepts we are just talking about and we take for granted. Right, absolutely. In this in this age we live in, you could you can research the hell out of anything. Yeah, and you probably can find most of those um, those shows if not on Netflix or Hulu. You can um, maybe even find some on YouTube. So. Definitely go check them out. All right, Jen. Well, good episode. Yes. And so next time, bum, 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 now that we've gone through what it means to like live and you're not your day to day life as a vampire, we're going to show you, well, what does it mean to look at a character sheet? It's our ST corner. Yes. Yeah, so another a lovely segment that we're going to be calling ST corner, where we get a storyteller or two that we know and love and have them come in and explain a little bit of the nuts and bolts for all you people. If the one thing about coming into the game like Vampire or really any RPG, whether it's D&D or GURPS or what have you, is there's this whole mechanic aspect to it. And I don't know about you, John. I am horrible at mechanic. I'm absolutely atrocious at it. How do you make sense of these like really abstract ideas being made into concrete form and dots on a page? Exactly. So we're going to have them come in. It's going to be our first interview, so that'll be interesting. And uh, try to help navigate the character sheet and what, what it means for you. And, and just so when you go to your first game, you're not lost. Yes. And I promise that these storytellers will not be dicks on our show. They will explain all the things. Very giving. They're, they are going to be rivers to their people. Rivers, a flood to their people. That's right, a font of information. So that will be uh, what we'll be bringing it to you next time. All right, that sounds great. Okay, well, thank you, everybody. Jen, why don't you tell everybody how they can get in touch with us? Of course, you can get a hold of us at Podcast by Night on Facebook. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at By Night Podcast. And if you really need to send us a long-form email, you can at podcastbynight at gmail.com. That's right. Questions, answers, we'll take them all. This has been Podcast by Night. Thank you for listening. I've been John. And I'm Jen. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.